podcast. And we're going to go over a few news items from the past couple of weeks. I'm Gwen Jordanay, and I'm an editor for UC Santa Cruz News. And I'm Dan White. I'm a writer for UC Santa Cruz News. And we're going to talk about the recent news from UC Santa Cruz, all of which you can find at news.ucsc.edu. And once again, it's just uh, me and Dan here for, yeah. your, for your entertainment purposes. We had a guest, we- but they left us high and dry. <laughs> the pay was too low. Guest. No, we didn't have a guest. I'm just pulling your, everyone's <laughs> pulling your life. I'm all, what? We did? Yeah. Right? Okay. All right. So uh, it's just you and me, Dan. And so we might as well just dive in. Yep. Okay. So, um, you know, it is August, unfortunately. I mean, I love August and everything, but uh, August is truly the best month. But when August rolls around, you start to feel like fall is coming up. Yeah, it's true. Summer is almost over. So you might as well yeah. start feeling dread now. <laughs> Why well, wait? With fall coming up, that means we have a new class to welcome. Oh, that's right. So the opposite you know, of dread. I'm not in a hurry or anything for summer to end. That is for sure. But I do want to say um, welcome to our our new class that will be arriving later in the fall. UC Santa Cruz expects to welcome a fall 2019 class of about 5,200 new banana slugs which is 300 fewer than fall 2018 last year, um, and offered a spot in its fall class to almost 28,000 first-year students and about 7,000 transfer students. Now, remember, that's how many students were admitted. That's different than how many students are going to enroll. So Yeah, we'd have to annex another whole city <laughs> if everybody showed up. Yeah, yeah. so those big numbers are going to get whittled down to the more to that more toward uh, 5,200. Absolutely. Um, in admitting students, the campus carefully assessed how to provide access to a high-quality and affordable mm. UC education. We increased the number of California students admitted from low-income families underrepresented groups and those who will be the first in their family to earn a four-year degree. That's great news. Yeah, yeah, I agree. More than 9,500 first-generation college students from California were admitted this year, and about 8,700 of the admitted students are from low-income families. The numbers are the highest they've been in three years. And the number of admitted Chicano Latino students from California increased from 7,190 students, 667 more than the previous year. So yep. that's going up as well. Other underrepresented groups remained steady with the campus admitting 1,096 African-American students and 151 American Indian students. The campus also continued its statewide effort to increase interest and applications from transfer students who are seeking a four-year degree. Supporting access for California community college students is one way to help diversify applicant pools and further enhance access to higher education. Yes. Yeah. Always a good thing. The transfer route is a really good one. We expect to, again, enroll one California transfer student for every two California first-year students. So that's a really good ratio to have, I think. For fall, we admitted 6,331 California transfer students, which was a 10% decline over 2018, but still an 18% increase over 2017. So yes. it's trending it's in, in the right direction. direction yes. We also continued our efforts to recruit and admit students from other parts of the U.S. and also other countries, which 
um, will increase geographic and cultural diversity, which is always good. So that's kind of like a part of college, don't you think? I, I believe that's true. Yeah. Yes. You want to not just meet the same, same kinds of people over and over. and only from the same state. You feel like you've never left your town. Yeah. You might exactly. as well stay home. So yeah. it's, well, I thought that was one of the great things about college was just expanding your meeting horizons, people yeah. from like all over the place. Yeah, exactly. The campus admitted about 3,000 first-year students from other parts of the country, a small increase over the previous year, and about 5,700 students from other countries, an 8% increase from 2018. So that's cool. Yes, that is. It's more international influence. And there are pe- awesome. people who travel from far, far away. Oh. There's a, a student from uh, China this year yeah. who won the STEC Award. That's right. Brilliant student. Yeah, that's right. Tim Lung Sani Wong. Yeah. Yep. I remember that. Yeah. Um, UC Santa Cruz is committed to admitting students with the background and potential to succeed and to providing support to help all students achieve their potential, especially those who will be the first in their family to earn a four-year degree. And that was from our chancellor, Cynthia K. Larive, who herself is a first-generation first gen, That's student. right. And proud. Probably yeah, so. Absolutely. And very committed to that as an issue as well. Yeah. Yes. So we look forward to welcoming our freshman class in the fall, but no rush, no rush. Let's not hurry. I'm still enjoying my summer. And I was almost going to say, and I'm still enjoying the fact that since you're gone temporarily, I can park on campus, but that's not really true because there's always something going on and there was the Dickens Festival and I still can't park or or else a chicken, not a chicken, a turkey is blocking my car and I can't get a spot. So forget it. Just I, I won't see any parking difference. Probably Just that is probably come true. One, come and on. yeah. man, those turkeys—they yeah. are—they are <laughs> large and in charge. Don't you think? They are large and in charge, and they strut and they <laughs> peck your tires, and they—it's not even Thanksgiving. It's not even—they're not even in a vengeful <laughs> mood yet. But, but I, maybe they are in a vengeful mood. I don't know. Oh man. Well, they are part of life here, so students, get ready. And also raccoons, and uh, occasional, occasional, you probably won't see them, I don't know, mountain lions, but don't tell anybody. And uh, yeah, all kinds of wildlife here. Eagles. I saw an eagle once, it was insane. Many eagle transfers to the school. Eagle transfers, yeah. Okay, let's move on. UC Santa Cruz Distinguished Professor Emerita Angela Davis, big name, is getting a huge honor next month. In celebration of the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, giving women the right to vote, yes! (laughs) The National Women's Hall of Fame will host um, a weekend this September in New York, honoring the achievements of American women in the birthplace of the country's women's rights movement. The highlight of the weekend will be the induction of 10 prominent women into the Hall of Fame for their historic achievements, and Davis will be one of the women receiving that honor. Great. Her fellow, yeah, her fellow inductees will include attorney and activist Gloria Allred, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor, Native American lawyer and professor Sarah Deer, actress and activist Jane Fonda, United States Air Force officer Nicole Malachowski, former member of U.S. Congress Louise Slaughter, composer Lori Spiegel, biologist Flossie Wong-Stahl, and artist activist Rose O'Neill. Big it's quite, quite, quite a lineup. Yeah. The 2019 class of inductees were nominated by the public, judged by an interdisciplinary team of experts across the nominees' fields, mm-hmm. and selected for their invaluable contributions to American society in the areas of arts, athletics, business, education, government, humanities, philanthropy, and science. Through her activism, activism and scholarship over many decades, Davis 
has been deeply involved in movements for social justice around the world. Her work as an educator, both at the university level and in the larger public sphere, has always emphasized the importance of building communities of struggle for economic, racial, and gender justice. She spent 15 years as a faculty member here. Did you know that? Yes, yes. Okay, until That's her right. retirement in 2008 as a distinguished professor emerita of history of consciousness and feminist studies. She's written 10 books. Um, she's lectured throughout the world. In recent years, she focused on the range of social problems associated with incarceration and the generalized criminalization of those communities that are most affected by poverty and racial discrimination. Mm. Important work. Yes. I interviewed her a few years ago for yeah. us for UC Santa Cruz, and that was, that was great. Um, we talked a lot about her work with um, Toni Morrison, actually, and the writing oh, of her autobiography. Right. It, was, it was, yeah. Yeah. She wrote a foreword or something, right? Well, well to Toni Morrison actually was the editor for the autobiography and really pushed her to make it really cinematic and really right. vivid and really anecdotal and, and, and dramatic and really helped shape it. You know, and they have a, a long uh, professional association and friendship going back for, for many years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in her work, Davis draws upon her own experience in the early 1970s as a person who spent 18 months in jail and on trial after being placed on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. She's also conducted extensive research on numerous issues related to race, gender, and imprisonment. That's right. So... Davis is a polarizing figure. Oh, a subject of debate, sure. to yes, be sure. Yes, but there's no mistaking her significance. Yes, that is that is unassailably true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, that's it for me. So what's on your news radar, Dan? Well, just imagine living in a chaotic country with a leader who's doing, you know, wild, crazy things. Actually, what? wait a minute. No. <laughs> All right. No. Anyhow, uh, just imagine that multiplied, multiplied huh. exponentially. Anyhow, uh, not to beat around the bush, but UC Santa Cruz Emerita Professor of History, Dana Frank, has a new book that will take readers. It's one thing to read about these things in terms of you know newspapers and TV, but she'll take you right on the front lines of a military coup that launched uh, a repressive regime in Honduras. Now, Dana Frank happens to be one of the top academic experts on Honduras in the United States. She's always doing interviews and writing mm -hmm. op-eds about it. But um, in her new book, which is called The Long Honduran Night, she actually blends her personal story of being there in the country while she, as a way of telling the dramatic story of life in that country after this military coup that ousted President uh, Manuel Zelaya in June of 2009 told in part through first-person experiences interwoven with political analysis, this is a story about the repressive regime that was launched that started with a coup and, unfortunately, the ways in which U.S. policy has continued to support that regime and the Honduran resistance movement that is, movement that is growing with help from a new solidarity, solidarity movement in the United mm. States. This book is about one-third my personal stories of what I witnessed, said Frank, and what I was eventually involved in during the nine years following the coup that de deposed the democratically elected president of Honduras. It's not just a horror story, though. It deliberately tries to balance the story of repression with the joys and commitments of the Honduran resistance and how Hondurans continue to seize life amidst terror. That's so what wow. people don't think about behind the headlines is the fact that life carries on. People yeah. try to preserve traditions and normalcy in the height of all this political chaos. Now, the book shows how U.S. policy, 
she says, has been instrumental in supporting a brutal regime for a decade and helping to create some of our more pressing problems today, Mm -hmm. including the so-called border crisis. By 2012, Honduras had the homicide rate that was highest in the world with 86 murders per 100,000 residents. The victims have included journalists, union leaders, human rights defenders, as well as leaders of poor farming communities. And Dana Frank says President Trump and his allies have called it a border crisis to fan the flames of racism and immigrant bashing. But for Hondurans and other Central Americans, the crisis in their own countries is very real. So this sounds like must-read material. And by the way, she's been commenting on the volatile situation in the region since the 2009 military coup with the outlets ranging from the New York Times and Washington Post to NPR and the Associated Press. And she's also testified in Congress about Honduras, as well as in the California State Assembly about the treatment of refugees from Central America. So it's great to have her voice and perspective. Wow, yeah, uh, she's so knowledgeable and... She's been there. She's been there, and she's got a lot of credibility. Yeah. This is her subject, and she's been out there and, you know, walks the walk. Yeah. Yeah. And in a wildly unrelated news subject, (laughs) conservation biologists are using artificial intelligence to help them understand the secret life of critters. Oh, really? Well, yes. (laughs) That's a great question, Gwen. And, uh, well, you know... Uh, not to preempt myself, you know about facial recognition technology and yeah. voice. It's kind of creepy when it's when it's being used for humans, I yeah. think. But um, but it's got interesting applications for wildlife. For years, scientists have spied on critters of the forest, of the ocean, of the jungle. I could go on, you know, using automated cameras and other sensors deployed in the wild. These things are often successful when they're really good at capturing what these creatures do and how they sound and what they, you know, their motions. And the good news is that these, these devices do a pretty good job and collect huge amounts of data. But then the drawback potentially is how does one sift through this mountain of data yeah. that all those sensors and cameras are out there collecting and snapping all the time? It's a problem, right? Yeah. So to make sense of it all, to really sort through it all, to contextualize it, to help draw some uh, conclusions from it, conservation biologists are increasingly relying on tools of artificial intelligence. In wow. fact, they are now harnessing the same sort of deep learning technology that is already used in facial recognition and speech recognition and other applications, high-tech applications. And anyway, this same kind of tech is great for scientists because they could now analyze and make more sense of various images, videos, and sound recordings ranging from African elephants trumpeting to aquatic insects making whatever sound they make, (laughs) crepitations underwater, I don't know. one could only speculate. Biologists Donald Kroll and Bernie Turchi, who run the Conservation Action Lab at UC Santa Cruz, have been using deep learning in the work on seabird conservation. Hmm. It all helps people with the, the conservation because when you're seeing the habits and the behavior and the motions, I mean, you, the more you know about something, the more you can protect hmm. and help it. They began developing acoustic technologies for monitor, monitoring seabird populations as a research project and eventually started a company, Conservation Metrics, to provide wildlife monitoring services. We want to increase the efficiency of conservation monitoring, said Kroll, a professor of ecology and evolutionary biology. We do these conservation interventions like removing invasive species from an island, but ongoing monitoring to track how seabird populations recover after the intervention is expensive 
AI tools can help us automate that. Oh, so yes, okay. see, so it really helps people strategize. And apparently this is really just exploding. This is something that is is really going off. The demand for these tools is growing rapidly. McCown said, when we started, other than a few academic labs, we were the only people we knew of applying machine learning to conservation and monitoring data. And now it's exploding. Wow. Now, I'm giving you a rather abbreviated and simplified uh, version of this, but I urge you to read the full-on story that we've published online at uh, UC Santa Cruz News yeah. uh, to get the full skinny of the applications of AI and conservation and, uh, and animals. Yeah. Wow. It's interesting where people are taking tech. It is. Just <laughs> out into the forest and you know, um, in these, this time of climate change and, and, and species die-off, anything we can bring to bear to help the critters. Yeah. I'm all for it, except so. for, like, critters I don't like. Like killer squirrels. And Cockroaches and flying. <laughs> yeah. Squirrel, cockroach, hybrids. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, um, good news. And um, like Dan said, if you want to check out any more news from UC Santa Cruz, you can find it at news.ucsc.edu. And there's tons of stories there. Heaps of stories. All kinds of great information about UC Santa Cruz. All right. Well, um, that's it for this time. Good as always to have you with us. And we will see you next time. Yep. Cue the bass player. Cue the bass player. Until then, go to (laughs) news.ucsc.edu. Check out our news stories and events. I wish the bass player could be in the studio with us. I know. How cool would that be? All right. Okay. See you all later. Okay. Bye.